hot mess because that church is a hot mess. And we're going to see the power of love for a dysfunctional church. And uh, I'm excited about that. I hope you'll make plans to, uh, to be here and be with us for that. If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. And so it'll be on the screen, but if you want to read along, read along with me. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you heard these words really almost every Sunday. Every time you took communion, somebody would read this, or, or they'd read the passage in 1 Corinthians. They would, they would read about communion. And, and so because of that, because we've heard these words so much, we kind of become too familiar with them. And, and so they lose the power to shock us like they did the original hearers. They lose the power to offend us. We don't think of this as offensive at all. But the first people who heard this would have been taken aback. When they heard Jesus talking about this, they would have been shocked and offended. The first time he talks about it is in John 6. Caleb read a little bit of that this morning. John 6, if you look at verse 53 on, uh, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. And after this, the Jews grumble about, how can this man offer us up his flesh and his blood? And, and then it says a bunch of people, a bunch of his disciples walked away and stopped following him. And we don't get that. We've heard this so much and we immediately go to communion and we immediately go to the Lord's Supper and we think about that. And so we don't get offended. But when, his, when these first people heard this, they were so shocked and offended, they stormed out of the building. It wasn't a building, but you get the idea. I'm sure it wasn't as dramatic to stomp off the hill at the Sermon on the Mount, but they did. They were upset, and they were shocked, and they were offended. Why? Because this was not only this teacher talking about some kind of barbaric cannibalism. This was unscriptural. This was against the law of God. See, you and I have heard this so much it doesn't shock us. It doesn't bother us. But those people would have thought of Genesis 9, where, G, where, where, where the Bible says, Every morning, uh, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. They would have thought of Leviticus 17, where he says, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them, who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. So when these people heard this, this wasn't just weird. 
This wasn't just, who's this crazy guy talking about us eating his flesh? This was offensive because it was unscriptural. It was wrong. It was something God says he will set his face against. And that's why people stormed out and walked away. Because they wrote this guy off at this point. This guy's nuts. He's going to give us his flesh to eat. He's going to give us his blood to eat. That's not just crazy, that's wrong. And so they walked away. I tried to think of a comparable illustration. And and I racked my brain. It would be like if I showed up this morning and said, Folks, for communion today, we're not going to have the traditional matzah and grape juice. We're going to have pork skins and Mad Dog 2020. And, And we laugh, but that would be offensive. It wouldn't be funny. It would be offensive and it would be wrong. And we would get upset about that. But now, so these disciples turn away. Notice something here that that strikes me. Jesus doesn't cajole. He doesn't beg. He doesn't explain himself. He, he He doesn't chase after them and say, Oh, please don't leave your misunderstanding me. He lets them go. I think that's interesting. But... This is after this, uh, he's, he's, these people walk away, and Jesus turns to the, Peter and, and the rest of the apostles and says, Y'all want to leave too? Now, that's the East Texas redneck version, but uh, that's basically what he says. Y'all want to leave too? And Peter says, Well, where are we going to go? Lord, we don't have any idea what you're talking about, but we believe that you're the, the Holy One from God, so we're following you. And, and, and so here we go. Now, remember. The, the whole thing doesn't make sense. If you're a person, we, we miss it because we've heard it so much, but the whole thing doesn't make sense. In, in most studies of the Last Supper, scholars are puzzled by one of the most peculiar features, and that is, why does he choose the bread and the cup? The focus of the Passover is not the bread and the cup. They're a part of it, but they're not the focus. The focus of the Passover is the lamb. Why didn't he take the flesh of the lamb and say, eat this flesh? That's the purpose of Passover. The focus of Passover. This meal that they're celebrating together is not about the the bread. It's about the lamb. And so why didn't he use the flesh of the lamb Where could he have gotten this strange idea that bread and wine might somehow represent the presence of a person? When I think of the presence of a person, I don't think of bread and wine. When I think of somebody being with me, I don't think of bread and wine. And and, and then, however, I'm I'm not a first century Jew, and, and, and so... For them, this was less about human presence and more about the presence of God. And so to understand this, we've got to go back into the Old Testament and really look at something called the bread of the presence. It it goes back into the ancient history of the worship of Israel. And, And this idea, your older versions, your King James calls it showbread, and that's really not a good translation. The, the, the literal translation is, is, is a little bit different than that. We first hear the bread of the presence in Exodus. And, and as soon as God's finished giving the Ten Commandments, 
he, he, he seals them with this heavenly banquet with Moses and, and the elders. And, and they have this meal. And then he sets about giving them instructions for worship. And, and he talks about the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And, and he says there are three specific things that are going to go into this tent of meeting. One is the Ark of the Covenant. The other is the, the golden lampstand that we would call the, the menorah. And, and then finally is the golden table with the bread of the presence. These, these three sacred objects are going to go into this holy place, and they're going to be part of the worship. God gives Moses a vision for these things and, and says this is the specific way this is supposed to look. This is the specific pattern for these, for these holy artifacts. Now, we know the ark, of course, is, is, is this golden box that's going to carry these specific artifacts, these specific holy things from Israel's past. And, and the, on top of the ark is, is the place called the mercy seat where the presence of God is supposed to come down and rest. And so we get that. The golden lampstand, the menorah, is supposed to be always lit, always burning. And, and as it is going to be, uh, it's going to be maintained forever within the tabernacle, always burning. And the bread of the presence was specifically set out in a, in a prescribed manner. Exodus chapter 25, verse 23 through 30. You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. You shall make a rim around it a hand breadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. You shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders of the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and the table shall be carried with these and you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls for which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. Now there's a lot going on there. But, but here's a few things that I want us to see. First, what was on the table? It wasn't just bread. Even though the table is called the, the table of the bread of the presence, it wasn't just bread. That, that flagons and bowls is, is things for drink offerings, and that would have been wine. It would have been the holy wine. So actually, the bread of the presence is really bread and wine. And, and the, the, while a lot of translations call this showbread, the actual Hebrew there is this phrase, lehem ha-panim, and I'm not Hebrew, and so I apologize when I butchered that. But the last word there, panim, literally means face. And so, and so the literal translation of that is bread of the face. And so this is the face of God. This, this presence is, is, is not the, it's before the face of God. It's, it's literally something that would be a visible sign of the face of God present in this holy place. Okay? So, these instructions are being given to Moses right after this great feast in Exodus. When, when Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders all sit down, and, and in Exodus 24, they, they actually see God. Exodus 24, verse 9 through 11. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as if it were a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank the bread of the face. It's almost like this, this earthly bread of the presence was to be a, a memorial feast 
of them coming into contact with the God of creation. As one scholar puts it, in the bread of the tabernacle, it is God himself who acts as the host and presents himself to his believers. And you're starting to see it. If that weren't enough, the bread of the presence is also found in the book of Leviticus. And so Leviticus is this book of, of instructions for, for the priests of Levi and, and how they're supposed to lead the worship of Israel. And, and in Leviticus 24, verse 7 and 8, And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. couple of things there. First of all, this bread was the presence of God. This bread was the face of God. But this bread was also a symbol of the covenant of God between God and His people. While we're familiar with blood offerings, there's also something called a, a, a minha or or a sacrifice of food or drink, and, and that's what this was. We know that this was a sacrifice because of the incense he's telling him to burn. Incense always accompanied sacrifice because it symbolized the prayers going up. So this was a sacrifice, and it wasn't just any sacrifice. It was a, a holy sacrifice that's to be offered up every Sabbath by Aaron and the other priests. And so it's indelibly linked with the sacrifices and with the worship that was to be done every week before God. So you're starting to see the connections here, right? The, the, the bread of the presence and Jesus' offering of bread are, are, are incredibly intertwined. But it's even more than that. It's, it's in Jewish tradition. It's even more so. In Jewish tradition, if you remember the book of Genesis or, or even the book of Hebrews, you'll, you'll remember this figure called Melchizedek, right? Melchizedek is this strange figure. He only appears a couple of times. Um, there's not a whole lot known about him except he's both a priest and a king. Um, it, there's some people who speculate and, and some rabbis have speculated that he's the, uh, the righteous uh, Seth, the, the righteous son of, of uh, uh, Shem, I'm sorry, the righteous son of Noah. Um, we don't know that for a fact. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But what we do know is Genesis 14 after Abram has rescued Lot, after he's been in this big fight, Melchizedek shows up. Genesis 14, starting at verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is the first man who's called a priest in the Bible. And he offers a sacrifice over Abram of what? Bread and wine. So in Jewish tradition, this is connected to, this is in their mind, the first instance of the bread of the presence. Now the Bible doesn't say that. This is Jewish tradition. But for many Jews, especially Jews of Jesus' time, the bread and wine of the presence was not merely a sacrifice that was remembrance of Exodus. It was one of the oldest sacrifices in the history of mankind. So, now, now the most striking thing I haven't got to yet. The most striking thing would have been to do with the temple at the time of Jesus. In Jesus' day, all men living in the land of Israel would go up to Jerusalem and the temple three times a year for the three big feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. 
and they were required. This wasn't even Passover here. It's not like Passover that, that now, the, the little Seder that people can have in their homes or anywhere. The, the, this was in that time, the lamb had to be sacrificed at the temple. It had to be sacrificed by a priest. It had to be prepared then in a certain way. And so you had to go to Jerusalem to do this. And, and so it was different than, than anything that, that we see today. And so, uh, according to, to the Jewish Talmud and the Babylonian Talmud, at each of these feasts, the priests in the temple would do something really incredible. They would take the, 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 the golden table of the bread of the presence, and they would take it out of the holy place, and, and, and they would hold it up so that all the Jewish pilgrims who were there in Jerusalem could see it. And they would say, Behold God's love for you. So this bread and this wine, this sacred bread and wine, it, it's a sign of God's face. It's a sign of God's covenant. It's a sign of God's promises. And it's a sign of God's love. And when Jesus wanted to signify the everlasting covenant between him and his people, when Jesus wants to bring us into communion with his presence, with his face, it would be through bread and wine. N.T. Wright says, when Jesus left us, he didn't leave us with a rule book. He left us with a meal. This meal was holy. This bread and wine is hearkening back to the oldest sacrifices that Jews could remember. This bread and wine is God's presence, God's face, God's covenant. Jesus himself, as he's giving it, says, this is the new covenant. And they would remember the bread of the presence. They would remember the sacrifice of Melchizedek. And they would remember the priest saying, behold, God's love for you. So now, when we take of this, this is not just a remembrance. Sometimes I think communion has been turned into a funeral and we have a memorial service for a dead rabbi, but that's not what we're doing. Because we don't have a dead rabbi, we have a risen Lord. That's what we're celebrating next week. That Jesus rose, that Jesus still reigns, that He is reigning at the right hand of God with everything, powers, principalities, under His authority. And so when we take this, this bread and wine is not merely something that helps me remember uh, Jesus. Although it does that, this is a sacrifice. This is an offering of worship. This is a communion with God that goes back to Abraham. Jesus didn't just say, I'm going to go away. And I'm going to leave you a little something to remember me by. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And everything from the beginning of time until now has been leading to this moment, to me, to Jesus. That in Jesus, that bread and wine that's been from Melchizedek to the Exodus Moses, to the Levitical priests, to that last Passover 
that Last Supper, it's all been about Jesus. It's always all been about Jesus. And now you and I as believers are invited in to be part of that covenant. Instead of being on the outside looking in, instead of merely being a proselyte, somebody who, who follows Jewish law because we want to be connected to God, we are now invited in to be part of the family of God and to be in the Holy of Holies. Nobody got to experience the bread of the presence. They could look at it from afar outside in the temple courts, but they didn't get to experience it directly. The only people who got to eat the bread of the presence were the holy Levitical priests of God. And that's why we see that through Jesus, we're not just disciples. We're not just followers. We've been made holy. We've been sanctified. We've been invited into the very family of God. This morning, I don't know where you are, but that invitation still holds. Thousands of years later, that invitation still holds today. You are invited to experience the face of God. You are invited to experience the covenant of God. You are invited to the presence and the love of God. Behold God's love for you. This morning we're going to sing a song and we're going to have shepherds and their wives at the back of the room they are there not because they are holy men, but because they are uh, the leaders that, that God has placed in this congregation. And so they're there so that you can come and, and find somebody to pray with. Not because their prayers are, are super Christian or anything like that, but because the Bible says the, power, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And, and sometimes I feel like I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to intercede. I need somebody to go to God with me because I don't have the right words. I don't, have the, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what to say. And so they're back there to pray with you. They're back there to, 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 to be whatever you need right now, to go to God with you, to bring you into the throne room and to say, God, I, I, we lift this person up to you. If you're at a place in your life where you say, I'm done, I've tried to run this thing, I've tried to drive this car, and I always end up in the ditch. I want Jesus to take over. Then let us help you with that. We can, we can take you to God. You can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can repent. That means turn and go a different direction. And then you can be buried with Him in baptism, raised to a new life where the Spirit of God comes and gives life to your mortal body. Whatever we can do for you this morning, whether you're here physically, whether you're here digitally, let us know because that's what we